It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part three of our series on the prodigal son called The Father's House. And today, we're the title of the message is A Different Kind of Lost. Today, we're going to look at really the point of the prodigal son uh, parable is delivered to the Pharisees that exposes how you can be in the father's house and still be every bit as lost and estranged from God as the younger brother. So, good stuff in here. And so for now, let's go ahead and head to North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. We're in part three of our series on the prodigal son. What? what? Oh, forgot to take the offering. God forbid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pass it around twice. <laughs> um, we've been in a, in a parable on the, we, we've been studying the parable of the prodigal son for the last couple of weeks, and we're part three now. We're calling this series The Father's House. And today, we're going to look at, I titled the message, A Different Way to Be Lost, A Different Kind of Lost. And today we're going to look at some not, obvi- not so obvious ways that we can become estranged and alienated from the Father. And to do this, we're going to kind of look at this uh, proverb in context of the whole chapter. So we're real big on that here at North Shore Vineyard. Uh, I've seen in, in many years that, that people just like to take little verses here and there and make them mean all kinds of things they never intended to mean. So we're going to actually... Uh, come to, to the prodigal son in context of the whole chapter. And I, I think you're going to see that th- there, there's some stuff in there that, that perhaps you might have missed before. In Luke chapter 15, it opens with this. In verse 1, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Number, number one thing I want you to realize is that the prodigal son, even though it's powerful on its own, it was actually the answer to accusations that were made by the religious crowd. They were saying, if you're a prophet, if you're such a man of God, why are you hanging around with all these immoral people, all these corruptive people, the tax collectors, prostitutes? If you're such a great teacher, why this? And so the, the, the parables that follow are an answer to that question. So Jesus answers with three parables. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, if, if one of you guys had a hundred sheep and you, one of them ended up disappearing, would you not leave the 99 and go f- save that one? And, and when you found that one sheep, you'd be excited. And then he says... It's kind of like a woman who has ten coins and she loses one. She, she searches the whole house. She sweeps it clean until she finds that coin. And when she does, she invites her neighbors over. I found my great coin. It was lost, but now it's found. And to finally round out his answer to the question, he answers with the prodigal son parable. And he starts off, he says, There was once a father, and he had two sons. And the youngest said, Father, I want my share of the inheritance. I want it early. I want it now. As I said a couple of weeks ago, it would have been like saying, I wish you were dead. Just give me what you owe me. And the father, even as insulting as that question was, was the son says, the, the father says, okay, you can have it. 
And so the son takes his share of the estate uh, that has been liquidated into cash, and he takes that cash to a foreign land, and he wastes it all on partying and women and all, or all kinds of stuff. And then there's an economic downturn. There's a, a, a famine in the land, and he's forced to get the lowest kind of job you could get as a young Jewish man working at a pig farm. And he gets to the lowest spot in his life where he's in the pig pen and he's beginning to want what the pigs are eating. That's how desperate it got. And in that moment, he comes to his senses. He remembers his father's house. He says, if I can just go back to my father's house, maybe he won't take me as a son, but he'll at least hire me. I'll say to my father that I've sinned. I'm not worthy of be calling a son, but can you give me a job, dad? And so the, the younger son makes his way back from this foreign country to the father's house. No doubt the whole time he's rehearsing in his mind how he's going to explain how he lost his entire share of the inheritance. And when he's a, a, a far way off, the father sees him. The father's looking out the window. It kind of communicates to us that the father's been sitting there looking every day. And he sees his son and he runs to them. As I said last week, a, a patriarch in, in a local village would not be caught running anywhere. That was something that children did. But he pulls up his robes. He, he doesn't care how silly or foolish he looks. His son is here. And he grabs his son and he hugs him and he kisses him. And his son starts rehearsing the, the lines that he's prepared. You know, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me back as a hired hand. And the father doesn't even answer him. He just says, put a robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Welcome him back into the family as a son in good standing. Let's throw a party. Get a band. Cook up some meat. We're going to have a good time. And that's where we pick it up today. Luke 15, verse 25. Now the elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen. For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Jesus, why do you eat with sinners and corrupt people? And Jesus answers with these parables. What is Jesus getting at here? Well, I think it becomes pretty obvious in, in the final parable that Jesus is representing himself as the father in the story. Jesus is the father. He is sitting at tables with, with all kinds of sinners, all kinds of people who've screwed up their lives, prostitutes, tax collectors, the people who feel like if they come to church, the, the roof is going to cave in, and Jesus is welcoming them at his table. 
Jesus is like the father welcoming in the younger son. The, the, the people around Jesus, they're the younger brother, the ones who have, have gone down the path of, of self-discovery, of hedonism, of just you know, trying everything. And Jesus is welcoming in. But, but per, perhaps the, the, the most interesting point that he makes in his story is, is the point of the older brother. The Pharisees obviously are playing that role. They're looking down their noses at all these people that Jesus is associated with, and they can't go into the party. They can't, they can't even put their mind around the kind of God that would actually do this. This doesn't make sense. It does not compute. They're like the elder brothers. They're standing aside, feeling superior, angry, resentful, just, just feeling like you're, you're threatening the whole thing. If, if you're saying that God... <laughs> welcome sinners and people who haven't done anything godly. If you're saying that, then we're out of here. We're not going to participate with that kind of religion. And so this is where Jesus shows us that there are actually two ways to be lost. Now, everybody knows the first way to be lost, right? We've all had friends, relatives, co-workers, uh, people who've been caught in addiction, and we can see the destructiveness of that. Maybe you've known somebody who's gotten to gambling addiction or pornography addiction. And it, it, it has completely taken over their life. We've seen the destructiveness in our world of when somebody commits adultery on their spouse. We see the destruction. We know, like, that's not a good path. It's obvious. But the thing about elder brother variety of lostness is that we're not so easy to see it in ourselves. It's so easy to be deceived by elder brother lostness because it doesn't come dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork. It comes as an angel of light. It comes clothed in our own opinions and our own morality. And it pushes the buttons of self-righteousness within us, the, 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 the things we like. That's why it's so easy for us as Christians to slip into it. And I would say that the biggest threat to Christianity in the world today is elder brother lostness. The elder brother, as I said last week, he was in the house, but he really wasn't in relationship with the father. He was working all the time for the father, but he wasn't in relationship with the father. You know, statistics, I've, I've read a lot of stories recently, articles about the millennial generation, which would be, I think, people born after 1980, I believe, 1982, somewhere around there. We've got a few millennials in here this morning, and uh, they're leaving the church quicker than any other generation in the history of America. And a lot of people are going, why is that? Well, I have, a, I have an idea because I bump into people coming in, new people coming into our church all the time from this generation. And uh, I, I think a lot of it has to do with elder brothers in Christianity. Have you ever been, and, and look, I don't want to be too hard on elder brothers because I've, I've lived as an elder brother. I'm an only child, but I've lived elder brother lostness a good bit of my journey. Have you ever been around somebody who's like that? They, they're always about, you've got to work harder, you've got to serve more, you've got to do more of this, more of that, you've got you've to get it all going on the outside. And if you fail to live up to their standards, they're going to look down their nose at you. Maybe you grew up in a family like that. Everything is external. It's appearances. And you know what? I think, I, I suspect even the prodigal son in this parable, the younger brother, maybe he left the house because he was just sick of his older brother's attitude. 
Because if you've ever been around elder brother kind of lostness, it's just repulsive. After a while, you're like, dude, I don't want to be around you. Because elder brothers are so hard on themselves. And because, as we're going to see in a minute, they're so insecure on the inside. They're so afraid of being seen on the inside. They often uh, destroy everybody else around them with the burdens that they put. I believe that people are leaving the church so much. I talked to a, uh, because of elder brothers. I talked to a girl who, who started coming to our church last year. Uh, and she, she told me, she said, before coming to the uh, North Shore Vineyard, she'd been out of church for many years. And she said, you know, I'd grown up in church. And I was, I was one of the, the kids in youth group that was up at the front all the time. I mean, I was very involved in everything. She said, yet as soon as I graduated high school, I, I, I left the faith. And she says, I now realize that, that my whole church experience was people telling me what not to do. And nobody ever showed me how to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. So it was all rules. You know what? That's elder brother religion. And the church is infected with it. And I suspect that a lot of the millennials that are leaving church, and not just millennials, but Generation X and Y and all that, uh, they're leaving the church because they're sick of the elder brother kind of attitude. So today, I want us to really... You know, because I, I tell you, in this room, if you're a Christian, if, if, you, if you've been following God for a bit, we're all in danger of this. That, that's the sad thing. You know what I mean? The, the thing is that, that, yeah, maybe, you know, I came to God as a prodigal. I was a mess when I came to the Lord. I was, I was doing that whole younger brother thing. But when I came to the Lord, uh, I immediately jumped into the other extreme of, of elder brother kind of lostness. <laughs> and it... I didn't see it for a good long time, but it was just as destructive as the younger brother thing. Because here's the thing that Jesus, here, this is one of the points Jesus is making in this parable, is that at least the younger brother came to his senses. At least he came to his senses. I mean, he had to lose everything to come to his senses, but at least he came to his senses. The older brother, he didn't even see he had a problem. And that's a problem. So, I just want us, well, I'm going to pray real quick. I just want us to invite the Lord to show us the symptoms of elder brother lostness within each of us. Because there's a little bit of it in every one of us in here this morning. And um, I'm just going to pray that our eyes would be open to it. Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you to open our eyes this morning to convict us of sin, to lead us in the truth. God, I pray where there are blind spots in our lives um, that, that you would open up our eyes today, God. I pray that we could rethink our lives and the reality of the Father's love. We could be reconciled to you once again uh, in, in every part of us this morning, God. And I pray uh, that you would just put your finger on, on, these, on any attitudes or thoughts that, that stand up against you. And Lord, I, I pray even as the younger brother saw the destructive, uh, destructiveness of his own sin uh, uh, in his own life and against others, God, that we would see the destructiveness of this other kind of sin. Uh, Lord, you would show us how, how toxic it is to our, our own hearts and those around us, Lord. So come, Lord, lead us to Jesus this morning. Lead us to the truth. In Jesus' name. 
So this morning is going to be kind of like doing a little medical checkup. <laughs> uh, you go to the doctor, or, or maybe you have something wrong with you. You get on WebMD and you type in the symptoms. Well, we're going we're gonna to look at some symptoms today and, and, and just ask ourselves honestly, do you have some of these symptoms, okay? The first one, the first sign of elder brother lostness is anger and resentment. Folks who are lost in the elder brother kind of way put tremendous weight on their performance. And so when things do not work out the way that they had planned, they often get mad at God. Maybe you've lived this way before. Maybe this is you this morning. I've worked hard. I've lived a moral life. I've, I've always done the right things. I've always followed the rules. And when it's time to get a raise, I don't get a raise. But this jerk over here who committed adultery on his wife, who's out drinking every night, he gets the raise by the boss. It's just not right. Sorry. <laughs> God. Why is this the way you reward your children who follow after you? I'm following all the rules. And what's the elder brother says? I've never disobeyed your command. I've worked hard for you all of these years. And I don't even get a I don't even get a young goat. And this brother, this brother of mine, actually he doesn't even call him a brother, this son of yours, waste everything and you reward him? You hear the anger and resentment in that? Elder brother lostness, one of the, the key signs of it is anger and resentment. Anger at God, resentment at God because we see others getting blessed. Anger at other people. But it's also, it also becomes self-hatred. Because older brothers, they, they have this, this, this performance-based Christianity. And I, I say this as, a, as somebody who lived that for so many years. When I'm doing good, everything's great. But the minute I screw up and I will eventually screw up. Well, the truth is, elder brothers screw up a lot. They just, they're not aware of it. Uh, but the truth is, when, 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 when you hit a spot where you, you fail your, your own morals, you fail your own standard, then you spiral into self-hatred and loathing. And you may not come out of it for, for several days. I, I told y'all this, that I, it's funny, as a, as a brand new Christian, like I was so performance-based, man. I was reading my Bible, going to the church, doing every kind of Christian activity I could do. And uh, whenever I would mess up, I would like not pray for a week. Like I better stay away from God, you know. Like, 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 and, and I would hate myself. And what's more is that because of that, I would hate other people. I mean, I wouldn't call it hate, but I was disgusted with anybody else who was struggling too because they didn't measure up to my standards. I hated myself, and I hated it in others. You see this oftentimes with TV preachers. How many times have we seen TV preachers that preach uh, just message after message against a particular sin, and then after a few years you find out that they've done that very thing that they've been preaching against? It's because they hate it in themselves. Hated themselves. Anger and resentment. It's the first symptom of elder brother lostness. The second one is superiority. When this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You hear the superiority in that? I would never do that. You ever said that before? I used to say that. 
I got tired of the consequences, though, right? <laughs> never say never. I'm just like, I don't want to say I'll never do anything because I, I know I'm, I'm a, you put me in the right circumstances, the right kind of emotional distress, I might do all kinds of stupid things. I don't put anything past myself. But for the grace of God, I'm, I'm, I'm here today. The Apostle Paul says, be careful where you think you stand lest you fall. Elder brothers have a superiority about them. They feel they're better than other people. And when you're better than other people, you can't forgive other people who sin in different ways than you sin. Have you ever noticed that? Like, it's very hard to forgive the sins of somebody else who, who, who sins in, in a way that, that you're not tempted to sin. Like, maybe you've never struggled with compulsive gambling. You're like, oh, oh my gosh, what an idiot. Why would anybody struggle with that? That's just stupid. Then you find somebody who's prone to overeating when they get stressed out like you, and it's like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I can forgive that because I, I struggle with that. Well, elder brother superiority, it, it, it looks down on other people. It, it's incapable of forgiveness. And we see the elder brother superiority is really one of the root causes of racism, classism, and when you see it mixed in with religion, it's one of the most toxic and destructive forces that the world has ever known. We see it rampant throughout church history from the Crusades to the uh, Inquisitions. You know that even, even Hitler, when he was uh, coming to power, he was quoting Lutheran theology. I mean, quote, r- quoting stuff from Luther and I don't believe Luther believed all this stuff his whole life, but in his later years, he had a lot of anti-Semitic stuff. And Christians, the church in Germany, backed him for the most part. The majority of Christians got behind Hitler. They felt superior. They scapegoated other people. You're the problem. And that's what the elder brothers do. They look at the younger brother. You're the problem. You, our, our, our whole estate is, is, is faltering because of you. Your irresponsibility superiority and it's not just religious superiority it's just it's it's an attitude on life and i think this morning if if we're honest how many people do we look down on in in our world and blame for the state of our world i was i was talking with with my my dad the other day when i was in texas and uh you know uh you you see something like the trayvon martin case that just happened recently and it's just it's just a tragic situation it's bad on all sides but but the sad thing to me is that people on each side of the issue scapegoat each other you know oh you people just want to take care take away our guns oh you're just pulling the race card well you know and they're just they're just fighting with each other and there is something there's something in us that when we hear people uh, maybe on talk radio or on, on cable news, we hear someone that stirs up our opinions. We can talk about it and get stirred up, and we can walk away feeling that since we had a strong opinion about something, we actually did something, don't we? <laughs> I felt something. It was almost like being alive. 
And the sad thing to me is that, you know, in the Trayvon Martin case, there's all kinds of issues that I, I, I just wonder, what does it mean to be Jesus in the midst of racial things, in the midst of violence things? What's it mean to put all this other stuff to the side? And, and how can we make the world a better place for, for young black men? How can, we, how can we live in a way that lays down our rights for others? How can we inject the ethics of the kingdom of God in the midst of this instead of just getting drawn into the morally superior arguments of both sides? I think these kinds of things, they appeal to elder brother religion. They appeal to that because we like feeling superior. We like feeling like we're the ones that God's on our side. He's backing our agenda, right? I would never do that, God. I'm better than that. The last... The last symptom that we'll look at today, there's probably many other symptoms, is joyless, fear-based compliance. All these years I've been slaving for you. Slaving for you. It's an interesting choice of words, right? Because there's no joy in the relationship. The word slave has strong overtones of being forced or pushed, not drawn or attracted is that your relationship with God? Is it just, I'm just slave. I'm just trying to get through my one-year Bible this year. I'm just trying to, trying to live a good life and not hurt anybody. You know, I'm just trying. Joyless, fear-based compliance. You know, elder brothers in our society are some of the hardest-working, most uh, honest people that you'll meet. At least in a sense. And I put a little asterisk here because their, their motivation for hard work and honesty is oftentimes their own self-centeredness. Have you ever met someone who was just incredibly generous, but you just kind of start getting the feeling that their generosity really isn't about helping other people. It's about their own reputation. You ever been around that? Like they do things not to really help the world, but just to make themselves look better. That was the problem with the Pharisees. They did everything for a public display. Their prayers, their offerings, their religious activities was all to keep up this image. And that's what elder brothers do because at their core, they're insecure. They have not encountered the Father's love. They're not living in relationship with God the Father. They don't feel loved. They feel like they got to keep performing. And woe is me if anybody sees the scared little person on the inside that, that is behind all these walls of performance and perfection. Honesty born out of fear does nothing to root out the fundamental cause of evil in the world. The radical self-centeredness of the human heart. See, oftentimes, older brothers will be honest as long as it benefits them to be honest. But then when a business dealing comes up where if we just lie a little bit here, it'll benefit me, and, 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 and nobody sees it as a lie, then, then they'll, they'll, they'll go ahead and do something dishonest. I want to tell a story that um, I heard from actually Tim Keller, who, who wrote The Prodigal God, which I, I believe is a, a great picture of this. There was a king who had many servants, and one of his uh, servants comes up one day. He was a gardener, and he comes in bearing this 
huge carrot. He says, oh, king, I, I, this is the, the best carrot I've ever grown. There's never been a carrot this big, this colorful, uh, that, that tasted this good. And, and I want to offer it to you as a gift to honor you. And the king received the carrot. He said, this is amazing. This is, you, you are, you've really got a gift at this. And, and because of your gift to me, I want to offer you a parcel of land right next to the castle. And all the resources you will need to, to continue gardening on a larger scale. Because uh, you, you're a, you're, you, you need to, to do more of this. Well, there was another servant who was standing by when he saw this guy bring a gift. And he got to thinking, hmm, I see how this works. So the next day, this servant shows up at the castle into the king's court bearing a, a magnificent thoroughbred stallion. He says, oh, great king, I have brought you my choicest horse, the best horse that I've ever bred, and I want to present it to you as a gift. The king looked at it. He said, thank you. You can leave now. And the king noticed that this servant, as he began to walk out the door, he looked kind of dejected. <laughs> And so he called him back in. He said, listen here. My other servant who gave me the carrot yesterday, he gave it to me. This horse, you gave it to yourself. That's the heart of elder brother spirituality. That every action that we do is really not for other people. It's for ourselves. Our honesty, our work ethic... Uh, our religious activity, everything we do, even the offerings that we give, ultimately, it's not about giving for generosity's sake. It's not just about loving truth and loving goodness. It is all external. We're giving to ourselves. The heart's fundamental self-centeredness is not only kept intact, but nurtured by fear-based moralism and can you see how this would be such a trap right because I mean mean, most people who are in addictions they're in denial you know for a state but but at some point you follow alcoholism far enough you're gonna you finally realize okay I do have a problem but elder brother lostness is so sneaky that we don't see it we're blind to it so I just want us to, 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 to go to the Lord today and ask God, where is it in our hearts that we have anger and resentment towards other people? Where are we feeling superior? Has our faith become just activity that's based on joyless, fear-based compliance? Do we just look at everything we do for God as, I'm just slaving for you all these years? Or have we stepped into the house? Lord, as the psalmist said, uh, search me, God, know my heart. Try me, know my way. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that's everlasting. God, we pray that this morning. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to convict us where there are areas uh, where, where we are exhibiting signs of the older brother from this parable, Lord. Right now, God, we, we want to confess anger, resentment, 
Lord, our pride, our, our superiority to, to others. Lord, the ways we've lived in joyless, fear-based compliance to you, God. Lord, we call it sin this morning. We name it as sin, God. And Lord, we, we apologize for the ways that we have hurt ourselves, for the ways we've hurt others, Lord, and how we've sinned against you, God. Lord, today we turn back to you, Lord. God, I pray that there would be freedom in our lives from this, God, that we could learn how to not just work for you, but be with you. We could learn what it means to be sons and not slaves. In Jesus' name.